have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum! Astral Radio Z is a horror, cult, exploitation film podcast by filmmakers, critics, musicians, journalists, and fans for the film obsessed. Here is your host, Derek Terry. Cool Summer is still going strong here at Astro Radio Z, and we go back to the shot on video well this time to talk about Eric Stanza's immortal, unrelenting, disgusting chair horror film, Scrapbook. before on this podcast i've talked about this term chair horror now if i haven't described it before i'm going to go forward as follows and give you a description what i term as chair horror or what a lot of other people term as torture porn i personally don't like the term or the the phrase torture porn it uh insinuates certain things and it's it's derogatory well so is chair horror what am i talking about i named it chair horror because i i'm sick of seeing movies where people (laughs) sit in chairs and get tortured that's why i call it chair horror but that's it's a subgenre of underground film in which one killer or killers kidnap usually women tie them to chairs and dehumanize them 
Um, this has been a very popular genre of film for probably the last 10 to 15 years. Now, this idea of the torture porn or torture movie goes back way further. But the current incarnation of what uh, we here at Astro Radio Z term as chair horror kind of started with the movie we're going to talk about tonight. And with this film and with Fred Vogel's August Underground. But Scrapbook came out a whole year and a half before that film. So really, we could look at this film as possibly being the originator of this ugly, seedy, disgusting subgenre <laughs> that for the most part I feel is brainless, but I'm not going to say that about the film we're talking about tonight. And I'm anxious to sit and talk to my boys, Mark the Movie Man and Scotty D, to see what they have to say about this film because I've been a fan of Eric Stanzas for a very long time. I used to see his movie Ice from the Sun on video store shelves and Savage Harvest on video store shelves. And they were low budget films with a lot of character, a lot of gore and a lot of energy. And Eric's gone on since Scrapbook to make a number of really well-crafted, tight, really intense horror films and genre films. So to, to just push aside Scrapbook as, you know, a cheap exploitation torture porn film, I don't think it's giving it its due. So I'd love to sit and talk about it a little bit more tonight as we go back to the shot on video. Well, it's been over a month because obviously... Last month, man, we had a lot of traces of death movies and boobies to talk about with our horror porn parody stuff. So we're coming back to shot on video films. What's that? I was just like laughing with glee about porn parodies. <laughs> <laughs> Funny enough, I of all of the, the stuff that I've done this year, which I'm so happy um, that our show is is gotten out there and it started to really find an audience. Um the two things that I've gotten the most response from, from my listeners and from random people that happen upon the show are, one, they love the John Waters series, and two, they adore the fact that we're doing these shot on video episodes because the vast majority of the people have never heard of these movies. Mm -hmm. So that makes me, that warms my heart because I grew up on this stuff and I know Scott, you also kind of grew up on this stuff, right? Uh, the shot on video ones, not really. No, I really I got introduced to the um, micro budget, uh, which is how I kind of learned to call them the, the micro budget stuff when I started actually writing reviews professionally. Realizing, I mean, I knew there was a few out there. I knew about Blood Cult and stuff like that, and I knew about the traces of death things. But I mean, as far as the huge 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 expansive uh field of shot on video micro budget horror films of which you've done a couple of which some of our other uh astro radio z people have done a few uh i didn't become fully aware of that until probably um mid 90s or so well when that's I started still the heyday that's and still that the heyday. was yeah it was the heyday it was like when it was happening but as far as like growing up you know 
No, growing up, I was still I was still strictly a Jim Wynorski action international pictures type guy. <laughs> so, but uh, but people don't know know the movies, which is great because I mean, like people, there are some that people never got around to. There are some that people aren't aware of. I mean, he, he, and if you're aware of a movie like Scrapbook, you might know it from a similar way that I knew about it, or you might just know about it from Reputation. But uh, I was out the other night with a friend of mine and my friend Paul, who actually directed a documentary about snuff films, which you could say that Scrapbook kind of delves into a little. And doc, his documentary was called like uh, was was called uh, Snuff, a documentary about killing on camera. And uh, it's been around for close to 10 years now. And yet I was said like, oh, yeah, I gotta, I'm going to be doing a show about this movie, Scrapbook. And he was not aware of it, which really took me by surprise because he's wow. You know, he knows a lot about this stuff and everything like that. And I told him about it. And he had heard of a lot of the people involved and stuff, you know, and everything like that. But he did not know about this movie specifically. Uh, even people that or follow uh, indie film, it's easy for a lot of these shot out of video films, even a notorious one like Scrapbook, to slip underneath the radar. So that's why it is a good thing that you're doing these shows. Well, this was one of those movies, and we're, we're kind of jumping the gun here. We haven't really gotten full into our usual dissection of the film yet. Um, but this was definitely one of those movies that when it came out, was very notorious. Maybe because I was a little more in tune with the underground, um, I actively sought this kind of thing out. Um, I was really into, because around this time, uh, Unearthed had just put out all the guinea pig movies. I, I, was, mm -hmm. I had uh, Scarecrow Video right down the street from me because I was living in Seattle. So I had a lot of access to this kind of stuff. And I was on a lot of underground horror forums and stuff like this. And Scrapbook made a huge impression right away. And to this day, Eric Stan says it's probably his best-reviewed film, which is shocking to me given its content, to be <laughs> honest. <laughs> but um, Scrapbook definitely has a reputation that precedes it, especially now, 17 years later, that we're talking about this. So... Um, I am hoping that, you know, this episode, all my episodes, I kind of hope that they aren't really for the hardened fan. They're more for the people that are casually into this stuff and want to seek a little bit more. So most of the guys that are really like the real ghouls out there, they already know about Scrapbook. They've already seen Scrapbook. This is one of those quintessential movies, Scrapbook and August Underground and all this shit. They've already seen this. But if you haven't seen this, I'm hoping that our discussion tonight kind of may maybe just tantalizes you a little bit to go check this out. But uh, Mark, the movie man, are chair horror movies ever a thing for you? They're not my favorite uh, version of horror. Uh, it's all on their approach, really. But I think now I find them more tedious than I did when they were, you know, when it was first becoming popular, uh, just because... Um, I've also watched a lot more indie and a lot more underground type films from when it first was coming out and, you know, hit kind of the mainstream. So for me, 
it's been hit or miss. It's, it's, it, it's the approach, you know, if someone maybe is doing something a little bit different, uh, I enjoy it a little bit more, but on the whole, this is not one uh, that I usually seek out to watch. I'll usually end up coming across it going, Oh, this horror movie looks interesting. And I realize, Oh, this is someone tied to a chair for like ever. So um, for me, it's, it's, not my favorite form of of horror film but i don't hate it it just depends on the film because i've seen some done really well and some done very cheaply you mentioned uh is it uh august underground mm-hmm. oh <clears throat> yeah uh <laughs> that film did not uh, impress me at all in any way shape or form um i i felt it was a really tedious watch for me for august underground and and i was just i saw not i was like this is yeah it it was not my cup of tea to be sure i'll just put it that way no mine neither mine neither i i really i remember when august underground came out i i found it i watched it and i was just like meh i i don't get this i'm not really into this and then when i when mortem come out came out I remember going, this sucks. Not <laughs> sucks from an execution standpoint, just there's a point where nihilism and shock for shock's sake just loses me. Just loses me. And there was just something about that movie that just did not connect with me at all. And I just could not stand it at all. This has nothing to say about Fred and Shelby. I think they're great people. And I've actually liked some of their other movies like Red Sin Tower and Sella Tersica. I think those are great independent films. And Murder Volumes, I actually liked Murder Volume Volume 1. But the August Underground movies, I just don't get them. I just don't get them. I don't get what the appeal is. I don't get anything about them. So I totally understand where you're coming from, Mark. Yeah, you know, and like I said, I... I just missed it. It's kind of like back when I first uh, was doing, if you don't mind me telling this, uh, the final cut. And I reviewed Mutilation Man, not the one that you saw on the DVD shelves. This was the Andrew Cop Mutilation Man. I got for a buck at Big Lots. <laughs> and it was one of those where I was watching it and I'm like, you know, I can't say that I, this film is shit as far as the you know the execution and everything i'm just sitting here going i am not getting what the director was going for you know and i i came right out and say it i'm like I, I there's certain people out there that that would appeal to that film people would get it for me it's just not my thing just like with august underground when i first saw it i just like i really am not getting what they're going for and it felt like to me that it was people trying something out or like you say shock for just shock value um later on i didn't believe any of it that was my big thing is that none of it connected with me because it felt like a bunch of people just horsing around on camera it it did it it, when i first watched it in fact i thought it was i'm like wow this is just a a bunch of people who who and that's the way it felt to me was that people who who watched some extreme films and just took hey, let's just take all these bits and throw it together, you know, which um, 
I just, it really did not appeal. I'm like, I just don't get it. This, this film is just not me. It's disturbing and, and disgusting and everything. I get that point, but you know, I'm like, I, I'm not really, I'm not really getting it. It's just not me, you know. So you don't like watching people puke on each other for a good half hour? No, I, I had enough of that with the, uh, with the uh, Lucifer film. No, we won't get into that. People want to listen to us talk about the black mass of the Nazi sex movement. Go, go become a patron over at my Patreon page. Our first uncensored episode is me and mark going on about how much we love lucifer valentine movies <laughs> yeah so uh i'm gonna put out right now this is my first time viewing scrapbook so uh you've got a very fresh pair of eyes on this film tonight and it from what everything i heard i'm like oh great here we go but i will say uh it did surprise me in some respects so well, let's not dilly-dally anymore, folks. Let's get down to it. I hope you ghouls are still around from Ghoul Summer, and I'm going to warn my listeners what's going to come after when we start talking about Scrapbook. It's going to be gross. Um, this movie is gross, so there's no way we can really talk about it without getting into what happens in this movie. So if you don't want to hear about really graphic depictions of rape and torture and sexual humiliation, please stop listening to this episode. But if you like that shit, get ready. Here we go. Next. We're gonna, that was an awful way to introduce this movie. And I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. It, 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 sounded, it sounded like you were auditioning for blood sucking freaks too. Yeah, exactly. Maybe <laughs> <I am. laughs> well, anyways, here we go. Let's get on to talking about Eric Stanza's scrapbook. When I hear the first time I ever killed anybody. It was a night that I came home and my father was downstairs with one of his various boys humping away. And I didn't want to be around it, so, so I took myself for a little walk. I went down to the bus stop right off of California. I was 15 at the time. And I figured I would just take a bus downtown and go someplace as far away from my house as possible. She was just she was just sitting there, and I believe she was just waiting for the bus, the same as, as me. And I sat down. So, beautiful girl sitting next to me. I tried to strike up a conversation, just to talk about anything. I guess I pissed her off or something. Because uh, she got up, walked away, and asked her where she was going. So I got ignored. I always, I always do. Well, right behind the bus stop there, is a, there's a, a, a trees, no, and a pond. And it just happened. It just comes, and it just, it just happens. And my pants were down. Hands around her throat, laying 
up against the hillside right next to the water. But she was looking out past me. You know, help. You know, but they were blue. I get really close and I can see myself. She must have laid there for like, like forever. And no, nobody came. It's like nobody, nobody misses anybody. So I took the, I, I took the pictures and I put them in the book. This is like the souvenir. Where the whole i the whole idea came from, you know? That's where it came from. See, once once it's finished, I won't have to be that guy out in nowhere. I I won't be that no name person anymore. I won't be that kid at the bus stop being ignored anymore. I'm I'm doing. I'm doing like, you know, like, like talk shows. You know, the thing is, is I'm 27 years old. I've been doing this, been doing this for the, for the last 12 years. And the thing, the one thing that's really gonna piss me off is if some fucking talk show host gives me one of them Stupid fucking head headlines like babyface slayer. Some making some comment about how I'm 27 yet I look like I'm nine. I'll I'll be the one with the jet. I'll be the one with the fancy limo. I'll be that person with those guys, those those bodyguards that you always see. They'll protect me. You'll, you'll be part of it. It's like you know, like like a team, like like a, with you know the with the photos, you know. You know. Scrapbook centers around a young woman named Clara, who is kidnapped by a serial killer, a young man named Leonard, who takes her to his kill shack, and tortures her, Leonard. It has been keeping a scrapbook of all of his victims, of their various tortures, states of decomposition, and other various disgusting things. And while he tortures them, makes them write about their ordeals in his scrapbook. And Clara is to be the final victim before he sends this out to the world so he can become the famous big man serial killer that he was meant to be. This is the framework for what amounts to be an hour and a half of pure torture. This movie shot on video in uh, 2000 was directed by Eric Stans, written by the late Tommy Biondo, 
who took supposedly five years to write this story um, based uh, very loosely, very, very loosely on a, a number of serial killers and true crime stories that he had heard about. The lead character, which Tommy uh, actually portrays, Leonard, is a very emotionally and sexually damaged man who was raped and molested by his family. We get a, our opening scene um, outside of the opening credits shows uh, a very a very long and uncomfortable sequence in which Leonard is molested by his sister and then raped by his dad. Showcases kind of almost a, a, a typical kind of conceit for serial killers that they've been damaged at some point. And from that point on, Leonard, in his pursuit to gain power back that was taken away from him as a child, kidnaps and tortures many, many people and puts them in a scrapbook so that he can get the notoriety that he deserves and finally feel like he's worth something in this world. Now, Scott, when you first saw Scrapbook, what was the overall feeling you got from watching this movie? I felt like my soul had been destroyed, uh, or at least damaged in some sense. I, I this I got. I might have even seen it before you, Derek. You know, before there was like a million different resources when you know you could just now start to kind of find stuff about the internet on the internet about indie horror and stuff like that. And I grabbed you know a, a subscription to Rue Morgue magazine way back, like in we're talking very early two thousands at this point. Uh, they had a review of the VHS tape. Mm-hmm. It was not out in DVD or anything like that yet. It was just VHS. <laughs> you had to get it from the distributor. And uh, they talked about this horror film that just that just was so well done, but it had just you know completely blown them away how disturbing it was. And I was like, where I was at that point in my life, I was like, oh, show me more. Tell me more, because I was really, as much as I was a fan of horror, I was really starting to get into all the indie scenes. I was getting into all the European horror that was never released here. I was getting into all the exciting stuff that was happening in shot on video films, uh, as we were talking about earlier. And I says, says, so, yeah, let me, let's see what this is about. And I kind of girded my loins up for it. You know, I heard like, okay, it's going to be pretty intense. I put this thing in and it, it was in very intense. Yes. But here's the thing. You talked about those like chair horror films. I don't like those movies either. I don't, I don't get off on seeing people tortured. And as, as you know, from other episodes of this and the spoiler room and other shows that I've been on, I don't like mean spirited movies. I don't like nihilistic movies. This movie was very well done. And it was so disturbing what I had seen. I mean, just seeing what this person did to this woman. And it it was so convincing how Eric Stanzi framed it. It was complete. It felt completely convincing. I could believe everything that was happening. And yet he had such a subtle technique about keeping it really grimy and stuff, but not uh, sacrificing any of the emotion, any, any of the emotion. Emily Hack's performance is just astronomical and it was it it resonated so strongly with me that i remember that i was working uh this is 
early, this is 2000 or 2001 that I saw this movie because it had just come out. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember I was working at Suncoast Pictures at the local mall at the time. Of course, now the, you couldn't get that movie here, this movie there, you know. Right. But I remember going into the happy mall the next day where they had all the little displays up and all the music and I'm walking through the store and I was in a daze for the entire day following this movie. People would just come up to me like, Scott, you okay? I'm like, what, what? what? Uh, uh, I'm and they'd say like, what's wrong? Like, I can't really tell you. I saw this movie. <laughs> and that was really, I mean, it really resonated that strongly. I don't like uh, films that exploit, you know, rape or torture or anything like that and if i think thought that that's all that they were out to do in this movie i wouldn't like this movie either no they were really trying to show the brutality and the cruelty and not paint a happy picture around it. no and what the, the their intentions shown through on this film and uh, that's what really helped save it and i think the film is astonishingly well done film it's a film that when people ask me what my most disturbing film i've ever seen is it's still scrapbook it's a wonderful film that i have an extremely hard time recommending to people because of the content Mm -hmm. but it is the most disturbing thing i ever saw yeah it is a real gut punch and i think what you you speak about the tagline for this movie is true horror is simply what one human being can do to another. And I think the yes. intention that Eric stands uh, in Emily Hack and Tommy Biondo, uh, what they wanted to accomplish this movie wasn't straight exploitation, as you had said, was to really show that this kind of thing, like, because we've known for many, many years that serial killers have kind of been romanticized. And people kind of, for some unknown reason, sensationalize what they do and make them out to be anti-heroes almost. And I think the intention of Scrapbook is to strip all of the veneer away and to show you how truly revolting the acts and the lives of these people are. Because the way that this film is not only framed, but is constructed feels as if you're sitting in that room and you're watching and you're strapped to a chair and you are forced to sit and watch what is happening. You don't have a a choice. You're watching this thing. I almost think this plays out like a stage play. Very long takes. The film stock, the, the, the video stock that they used, gives it almost like a public access feel where you, it feels like there's some sort of reality to the proceedings that are going on here. Um, to the point where there's one uh, section of this film where uh, Tommy, who uh, Leonard, the serial killer, is filming with a VHS camcorder, Emily Hack slash Clara, in a, in a shower. And that sequence, the shift from one video stock to the other feels so grimy that when you go back to the other the the regular film stock it feels like you're back in reality again it's it's such a weird juxtaposition 
in such a like a weird mindset that this movie puts you into. Now, Mark, what did you feel? How, what was the feeling that this movie gave you upon watching it? Uh, <laughs> well, I was disturbed for sure watching it, uh, especially in the beginning. the The first rape um, was particularly tough to watch, and but as the film played out. I actually was, lack of a better term, I was happy at the fact that I saw where they were going in this film, unlike other films that have handled graphic nature, I realized there's something actually underneath the surface besides just doing these shocking scenes. There was actually a narrative, there was a point, there was a message. And so by the end of it, I did not feel like this was done just to be graphic. It was, you know, wasn't done just to sit there. And yes, you are disgusted, but it, it, there's a reason behind they want you to be disgusted. They're trying to give you a message versus uh, some other films in Underground that try to be edgy and, and do that. And it just comes off disingenuine. Here, it felt like they're they were going for more than just and so by the end of the so i'm all honesty in the beginning i sighed and rolled my eyes a bit and went okay here we go but as the film played out i actually appreciated more what they were trying to do in this film than when it first started because the first impression I was getting with this film was I was like, uh, you know, <laughs> like F this film, uh, you know, what I get myself into here. Um, by the end of it, though, uh, I realized really what they were going for with it. And I appreciated it by the end of the film. The film starts with black, a uh, black screen and white credits slowly going up to the top of the frame and all we hear is emily hack slash the clara character pleading with another person that obviously sounds like she's been hurt and clara has no idea what's going on this opening credit sequence goes on for a good four or five minutes while the credits just slowly crawl by and we get the idea that Clara is completely helpless and that she realizes that she's in a very dire, bad situation. The opening of this film sets such a tone that once it finally breaks into when Leonard opens the doors and reveals that she's actually sitting in the back of a van with a woman who's been disemboweled, Tommy takes the, the body out and slams the doors and leaves her in that there's no way you are going to think that this is going to be a happy movie whatsoever. I love the intro in the opening credits of this film. Uh, Scott, is this a technique you normally like? It sets a bleak tone and it's a bleak movie. And I, as you know, I don't usually like bleak movies, but I don't even think of that in the beginning. I just think it's, we're about to see so many horrible things. And 
how does how does he grab us right away? Does he like give us a gore shot? Does he uh, show us the abduction? Does he let us know exactly what's going on? No, you hear, you know, you can kind of hear like the van, the the truck moving, and uh, you hear the the pleading very softly, you know, and very slow, slow, deliberate thing. And the credits aren't taking forever because he's padding the movie out. This movie is already a little bit longer than most of the shot on video films that you're going to see. It's taking longer because it's really just setting this stage and it's not letting you off easy. It's not let, giving you just like 30 seconds and you're done. No, it's really playing it out. And then you have that horrifying moment when he rips open the door and you see the the, the woman's corpse there and she, Claire is screaming and Leonard's just sitting there mocking her as he drags the body out and then slams the thing. It is an incredible, you, you used the term gut punch earlier. This, and that's the first of many. It is such, I mean, it just smacks you right in the face right away. And you know, like, oh my God, things are already bad in this movie for this character uh it's not giving you any time to adjust before throwing you right into the thick of it it's the, the and the situation just becomes you know horrible as it goes on i think think that i think this first scene it's shocking and it's very artistically done it is not done just to say like ha look at the gore shot it's done to show to really accentuate the horror, not the graphicness, the horror of the situation. And I think that that's why it works. Yeah. And this is where probably the only portion of the film that I'm going to feel probably wasn't entirely necessary and was probably the most exploitation filled sequence of the entire film. This flashback to when he's a kid and his uh, sister is just one incredibly long take where it's a POV from him as a kid, uh, supposedly watching his sister topless dance for him, and then she goes down on him, and then the dad comes in and rapes him because he's pissed, and blah, blah, blah. This scene reminded me, it was very reminiscent of Tim Ritter's Creep. Uh, if you, you see certain versions of Creep, there's multiple cuts of it, but one of the early cuts of Tim Ritter's Creep has a very similar sequence where our lead uh, killer in that played by Joel Weinkoop. He is molested by a family member early on in that film as well. And this uh, sequence reminded me a lot of that one. Now, Mark, um, what? how did you feel about this sequence with the sister and the dad? Uh, did you feel it was necessary? Or did it continue on with this sort of tone that was going on with that first opening kind of uh, van ride sequence flashback with the sister in all honesty felt it felt different than the rest of the film and you're right it, it did feel more exploitive and the way they set up this character i'm big i'm big on not necessarily giving your crazy batshit killer whatever an origin for me i i like a little bit of mystery and I think the way he's portrayed and he's written and the things you see him do, I didn't think this was necessary either to get your point across that he was broken. And in fact, I think it comes up later in the film. He mentions it or something 
comes up, isn't it, where it's referenced again, what we saw visually, I think. Um, I'm not sure. I don't I don't remember offhand. I do. Well, it actually it actually comes up when Clara, not to jump too far ahead. And folks, if you're listening to this now, there's going to be spoilers throughout this entire thing. It's impossible to talk about this movie without talking about the stuff that happens in it. So if you haven't seen this movie, as I said before, please don't listen to the episode because we're going to be spoiling stuff. This is a warning. Thank you. This opening sequence here with the, the flashback actually is kind of how Clara devises her ultimate escape. Right. Because there's a lot of the ways that she builds up Tommy or Leonard near the end of the film is through this idea of diverting the power, the sexual tension and the sexual power that he loves so much and that he throws into all of these uh, victims that he finds back at him and how helpless he becomes because of it. Right. So there's a point to this sequence but whether or not it was needed, I, I, I don't. I, this is probably my least favorite sequence of the entire film. Yeah, and, and like you said, I think they even mention or reference. You know, she's reading it or something. It, it's a voice or you hear her in the head reading it or whatnot, uh, referencing it. I think that would have been probably enough. I, I don't think we needed this sequence to get the idea that something bad happened to him that or something may have bad may have happened to him that had made him this way um and it did feel not quite needed and and different from the rest of the film in such a way that uh if you take this sequence out i don't think you really lose anything in this film it didn't need to necessarily go on as long as it did if anything is uh i agree with uh you, uh, Derek, uh, on the scene, I think it is. I, I do think the scene's important, first of all. You, let's go to a more mainstream movie for a bit, uh, Silence of the Lambs. One of the things that was in Jonathan Demme's original cut, and it was very much in Thomas Harris's book, that Thomas Harris really wanted to get across was that serial killers are not born. They are made. Uh, abuse or or something that happens they're made usually not even by a single event but by a uh, a series of uh, systematic uh, episodes of abuse because uh, you can because you know yeah this is a single episode but i mean come on do we think it's the only one not by a long shot um but uh i so i think the scene is important yes having said that do they need to watch him watch her dance and all that stuff for as long as they do before the scene goes south and stuff no i'm not it would sound weird to criticize the only non-violent sexual moment of the film (laughs) 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 but because i mean it's not like it's like you know oh all this perfectly good violence and then they had to throw sex into it uh, no, it's not that. It's uh, it's that, you know, given the tone of the rest of the film, given what we see, it kind of does look like, okay, you're lingering on a bit long, uh, on this a bit long, and you're doing, because, I mean, her molestation of the kid and the father's reaction, they're both horrible. They're both horrible. Uh, but to the early part of the scene, you're lingering on it a bit long because it's a little bit because it's titillating. And well, because it's a hot chick. 
yeah, you don't, you know, yeah, she's some hot goth chick, and you don't need to, and you, I think given what we're about to see, and given the tone of the rest of the movie, it's out of place. Yeah, this is the only part of the movie where I'm just kind of like, okay, well. I like the scene. I, I, I like the scene. I just think that that maybe trimmed the first part of it. I'm all for, uh, you know, I'm all for sexiness in a movie, just not maybe this movie, because because of what its mission statement is you know right right well and also there's very few times in this extremely micro budget film in which there are punches pulled and this scene shows (laughs) that the boy the pov of the boy is actually a man because the hands that come up to grab the boobs are obviously a man's hands (laughs) there's no kidding around oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) whatsoever but they they toss like a teddy bear in there to make it seem like oh this is a little boy that has enormously huge hands (laughs) but that's neither here nor there so um then from there the movie goes back to uh claire and leonard and the rest of the film is a series of ongoing humiliation uh dehumanization rape torture murder there's a sequence where a neighbor comes by to see if he could use his barn uh, for storage and um, leonard promptly kills him and tortures him and throws him in a closet now see that's that's the part that i thought was the uh i know it added action to the to the piece and it it was but it was almost the way it was done was almost a relief compared to everything that was going on that was the sequence that i thought eh you don't really need it well, and some of it too is, as I said before, it's one, it's another one of these things where it feels like punches were pulled. Because a lot of this movie, um, from what I had heard, was ad libbed. That it was done kind of in a Blair Witch style, in which um, there was an overall outline of the film. There were certain sequences that were scripted, uh, because Tommy had obviously written certain sequences and a plot of what he wanted to see, but because Eric wanted the film to feel a certain way and what the mission statement was and how far they wanted to push it. Um, he felt that it was, the film would be better off if they ad libbed it and there was genuine reaction between the two and that the two didn't necessarily know what the other person was going to do. So a lot of this stuff, I guess that's why it kind of feels like a stage play at times because camera stays still and it just watches what happens that goes on. And some of these takes supposedly went on for like 30 minutes. And he used mm-hmm. just snippets of these sequences. That sequence where the guy comes in, the neighbor comes in, and he's, you know, we just hear we're, we're with uh, Clara in the room, locked in this room that's just covered in shit and blood from kills that had been stuck in there. And it just rotten food and rotten body parts and all sorts of other shit which was another thing in this movie is that the the actual set um was a character in and of itself and you could feel and just it, it like the texas chainsaw massacre where it was just like this place it was like you could smell it it was like you could feel how grimy this place was but she's stuck in this room and she hears him and this neighbor just going at it and one of the few sequences where it's just not shown, almost like that opening sequence we had talked about over the credits, where we just hear violence going on. That when he finally comes into that room, 
there's like pulled kicks and sort of looks like he's punching him here and there. And it's just like, oh, this is another thing where I wish they would have just stuck stuck to the straight concept of what was going on between these two characters instead of having to bring another guy in into this just for the to break it up a little bit. Mark, what did you think of this side kill that came in from the neighbor? It did feel out of place, and it also actually felt out of character for our killer, in all honesty, in a way. You know, I you you kind of got an impression you, you were starting to figure him out and and how he he worked and picked his victims and everything. And so here's you know, and he wants to be known, but he doesn't want to be completely found out yet. And he's you kind know? of a weasel, right? And he he's a weasel. He he's a true weasel, you know. Uh, and he he kind of wants to be discovered, but he's not done yet. So he wants, you know. We get the scene, and, and I'll I'll come back around to your your question. But we get that scene where he, you know, they're talking about how they can't find the body of one of his victims, and so he talks about he's got to move it so that someone can find it. He's like, people are incompetent, you know. So this guy's a weasel, and and he's trying to set this up so that he lives in infamy for being batshit crazy and doing these killings. And then he does this side kill for someone who sent this guy to his, you know what I'm saying? It, this guy had, had, even though he was crazy, he had calculated a number of things in his crazy world. But then we get this guy and rather than just telling him no, sorry about the barn and having the guy go on his way, mm-hmm. he kill he, he kills him. Yeah, and, I'm, and for me, I'm like sitting here going, you know, I got his motivation for everything, except this guy. This this makes like the the big mistake, the the stumbling block of our serial killer, which maybe that's what he's going for. But I'm like, you've set this up, and the rest of this movie, this relationship between her and him, and then you add this other element in it. It it felt awkward, and yeah, it didn't feel like natural for the character that they had set up with this uh serial killer it it really felt out of character for his character i would have thought he would have talked this guy away from his place because he wasn't ready to reveal the next body yet you know right right he was still he was still crafting his last i know this sounds really bad to describe by putting it in in the context of his main mind of he's crafting his last masterpiece his last chapter so he wouldn't want anyone to mess with that so and and he's slick enough to where i thought he was just going to talk the guy out of it and send him on his way and so he brings him in and kill you know you basically kills him or or he throws his body and i'm like okay i I well, this guy is like twice his size. So well, like yeah, he brings him into this. Yeah, he brings him into this house that has pitched Polaroids of dead bodies and people being tortured, and there's blood and rotten food and all this stuff all over the place. And this guy just how does this little weasel get the best of him? I don't get I don't understand like that never connected with me with this this whole sequence. No, it, I I didn't understand it. So I agree with that. It doesn't make any sense. It's it is of everything. It's this sequence and that one uh, sequence with the flashback, where it's just like if those two sequences would have either been condensed. Like I kind of like what Mark had to say. Whereas when the guy shows up, so like sorry, man, I I actually don't have any space 
in my barn for you. I'm sorry. Maybe if at some point I do, I'll get a hold of you and I'll let you know. Boom. Right. Done. Because they obviously the neighbors knew that he lived there. It's not like he was trying to hide the fact that he actually lived there. Yeah. I mean, someone sent this guy to his place. (laughs) I mean, so he's known you know, at least, you know, somewhat in this, obviously a rural community where he's living at, you know, like out here in Cowhump, Wisconsin type place, you know, cause that's where all the serial killers live. Cause it's remote, you know, but uh, yeah, it just, it felt out of place for his character. And I, and I kind of wish they would have handled it that way and, and made him even scarier because he was able to talk this guy away from his property and she's just locked up in his room, like, you know, 50 feet away. And here he's able to get this guy who could be her salvation. And he just talks him out of even, you know, coming into the barn or anywhere and talks him away that I find more scary than him beating up this guy who's bigger than him and, and shoving him in a closet. I think it's scarier for the guy to keep it calm and cool and convince someone, oh, yeah, you know, like the barn or whatnot, and, and get them to go away. That's scarier. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. But uh, let's go ahead and stop complaining about the stuff that doesn't work about Scrapbook, as I feel <laughs> like we immediately went to all that stuff. And let's talk yeah. about the stuff that actually does really work, Scott. We actually do really like this movie, <laughs> and, and <I laughs> or think, at least I do. I, I mean, I shouldn't say, speak for Mark, but I mean, I, I, I do. <laughs> I, and, and I think why we really like this movie is because of the two central performances in this movie. Tommy Biondo as Leonard and Emily Hack as Clara. Now, these two characters who we are basically asked to stay with in two rooms maybe three, the entire film are captivating the entire time. Now, let's just sit and talk about Leonard, the serial killer. Now, his whole um, modus operandi of, you know, finding women and drugging them or however he gets them back to his kill shack, um, brings them back there, and he has this scrapbook of all his past exploits. He, He seems like he's sort of a sympathetic character in some aspects. Like he feels like at times he's lucid, but at other times he's completely broken and makes no sense. It's megalo uh, maniacal and all this stuff. He is a very complex character and one in underground that we don't see very often by no name, non-actors and uh, Tommy Biondo at the time, who unfortunately never got to see the final cut of this film because he died on the set, or he died based on injuries he received from another film. It was his. It was supposed to his next. That next film was supposed to be his directorial debut, and there was an accident. I can't remember the exact specifics of the accident, but he uh, fell, and uh, I think he died pretty quickly. And it's just. I mean, he was very young. I just look you just look at this performance and you know that he wrote this he researched this he really cared not to make it into just some sleazy uh, uh, uh you know 
torture porn thing. I know you don't like the term uh, film. He wanted to actually make some a horror film that was disturbing, but also had meaning. And you think about that. Like, he was going to direct next. And what could he have done? Because his performance here is chilling because it's he seems perfectly calm and almost charming at some points and the next he seems unhinged and just almost and just subhuman the next it's really a, a quite a performance and um losing that kind of talent is it's just it's just it's just terrible i mean god only knows what he, he could have done he was 26 years old when he died 26 and he had already done this i mean I'm, i can't even imagine what he could have done next Here's, there's just a sense of melancholy that goes over this entire film beyond the content, beyond the the fact that the, the film itself really feels like an endurance test. Just like it's it's daring you to continue on the entire time. Uh, the score is really, really disturbingly like ominous the entire time. There's a sense of melancholy beyond that just because of the fact that we know that he died soon after making this, like this is what he's known for mm-hmm. is this insanely deranged fucked up film. And there's just something like, when you think about that, like I think about, well, what do I want to be known for? Would I want to be known for scrapbook? I don't know. <laughs> even though it's such a wonderful, I mean, even though it's such a wonderful movie, I'm, I was wondering about that too. It's such a wonderful movie, and he obviously dedicated a lot of himself to it because, as I mentioned, he wrote it as well. But then to have that be like kind of like your last statement, testament. your last artistic statement. I mean, it's just like it's heavy. I would have wanted some. I wanted wanted something maybe afterwards to let people know, like. I'm actually kind of a nice guy, you know, well, afterwards, but they never, they never got it. We never got it. We never got to see him other than the, this guy who's in this movie who, the, who, even though we keep saying we really like this, the content's really despicable. It's, like I said, I, it's a very hard movie to recommend. And he, he did act in other things, but as far as like putting him, out you know right there in front i mean it's it's scrapbook i mean it's scrapbook because i mean ice from the sun is such a mishmash of styles and stuff very experimental it's very very experimental a good good term for it and his other roles i mean you just don't don't nothing is nothing as you know dominating or as in your face as scrapbook that's for sure there's just points in this film where he it looks like he's lost himself like he is this character and um from what i've i've heard from interviews with stans and um other uh interviews with various cast members and commentaries and stuff like that they were very method about how they went into this movie and every single day they would they would sit and they would meet and then once they got on set they were characters. They were those characters and they played this through and Eric would just give them subtle direction as to, okay, well, let's go this direction right now. And they wouldn't break that character. And it shows, it shows the way that he handles himself looks like a man who has just lost all control. That's a surprise because I'll have to re- recheck all the materials I have on it. 
I remember comments being made that there were often a lot of like jokes and stuff being made on the set and a lot of levity in between when they knew that there wasn't going to be any scenes coming up when they were just setting up and everything at least. But once they started of, filming, it was a different thing altogether. Yeah, once they started filming, but like in before, like in the times leading up to and just after filming, there would be a lot of levity because they said, because I think Stanzi said, because you had to. What what we were shooting, what the actors had to put themselves through, was just so dark and so you know bleak and so miserable that you had to have humor on the set. But yes, I'm sure like when they were just shooting, I'm sure it was serious. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard stories where supposedly cameramen and grips and people like the, the crew would had to turn away. Like they couldn't sit and watch what was going on. And they all knew what the, what they were going and attempting to try and create with this. And they just let it go. And it was hard to watch especially those extended rape sequences that are very unflinching and they go on for a very, very long time. Now, Mark, what did you think of uh, the Leonard character, the betrayal and everything about him? What did you end up thinking of how Tommy Biondo was in this film? Oh, I, I dug his performance. Um, You, you, it was convincing. It, It felt real. It was, it was, you know, it was a grimy, this was a guy, it, it felt like a real character. You could see this being a real killer and he put his all into it. And I give mad props for that, especially for the type of film that this, this is, um, and, you know, for, for what they were making for him to throw his all into it. I, I have mad respect for that. And, for the actress as well, which I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about. But in regards to him, I like their character that they wrote. Um, despite the, those couple scenes where, we, you know, we didn't feel that they were fitting. Um, I did enjoy there were a couple different layers to him. He wasn't just a one note type of guy. Uh, there is some message used in here. Actually, message that was, I think that's very prominent now in horror i see we get an early inkling here already where uh we which we see this trend we're seeing this trend in all these shot on videos that you're introducing me to that that i didn't see that you didn't actually see in main horror in the idea of the idolization of your serial killer whether or not it's people who are worshiping the serial killer or the serial killer who wants fame. You actually get that with this character, which surprised me within a film. I was going into it going, okay, here we go. uh, Underground extreme rape horror film. Okay. But then you got this character who's giving messages about how uh, she's his last chapter and, you know, why, why isn't she more appreciative? Because he, he's going to be, you know, getting TV deals and movie deals. He's going to make it on Jerry Springer, you, you, you know? Um, and that surprised me to have a character in the type of film that says have a character like that and bringing actual message. 
and that he, his character was where it started to help me realize that this wasn't just a film doing shock for shock value. That dialogue he had in the beginning talking about fame and her last his last chapter and that I sat there and go, okay, they are trying to do something more than just be shocked. And so I, I appreciated it quite a bit. Yeah, it's interesting that you brought up the the kind of archetypes that it, it tries to break down. Like you were speaking about, you know, the slasher tropes of these uh, horror idols um, that we have kind of glorified as being anti-heroes. Like how did Fred Krueger go from a child killer to almost like everybody had like posters of him on his on their wall and bought the sweater and bought the glove and all this stuff and here we have somebody that you know wants to have that 10 minutes of fame the tropes that are broken down with that character and also the fact that emily hack is kind of the final girl Mm -hmm. in this and in no way shape or form is she strong in this movie this performance she puts together as Clara is, and I've always said this, one of the most fearless things I've ever seen. The mm-hmm. things that they put her through and that she has to do, be it, be it the rape sequences, being it fucked with a, a bottle, graphically in a very disgusting sequence, being locked in a barrel covered in milk and left out in in, in the heat for days to Ugh. which the, the milk curdles on her. That sequence is to me is just so revolting when she is like broken free of being duct taped into this trash can full of milk and she comes out and she has to have curdled milk all over. Oh, it's so revolting that there are moments where he lets her wander around without um, constraints and she doesn't run off that it's just like she's just as damaged as he is Scott what do you think about Emily Hack's character Uh, fearless is the perfect way to say it I mean I remember many years ago if you remember the old uh, web I don't even know if it's still around uh, it was a site called DVD maniacs Mm-hmm. They, used to, they used to exist, uh, and they used to have the forums there. And I used to post on the in the forums and such. And they were talking about, uh, I think they were probably talking about disturbing films. And I was talking about how amazing Scrapbook was. And I think even the, I want to say that somebody from the production like saw that and said something. You know, it's a thank thankful or something, but I can't remember who for the life of me. But uh, I remember, I do remember one of the lines that somebody responded to said oh yeah emily hack deserved hazard pay for that i mean that was because what it it really looked like she went through like a war and to say no i'm not going to do this part or uh i'm this part this part you need to ease up a little or uh let's get a stunt person for this you know i know a stunt person for a film of this budget you know haha but whatever and no, she goes for everything. Now, it would be one thing to say, okay, she's up for anything. No, 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 no. She's an actress. She's a great actress because whatever you see her put through physically is one thing. You can see the toll emotionally yeah. on her. 
psychologically the greatest moment of this film we have mentioned the shower scene i think Mm -hmm. uh where he talked about the differing film stocks and stuff later on in the film and it's the moment where she kind of realizes she's going to need to do something it's the moment where he makes her watch the video and she's sitting there with the book in front of her and she's watching the video and you don't really it doesn't really linger on the video. We've already seen that scene. It yeah. lingers on her face. No words spoken, just her face. And you just see everything register. It's one of the most amazing and subtle acting performances I've ever seen. She's incredible in this film. And... Um, I agree with you to a certain point, Derek. Uh, You said she's not strong by any means. Certainly at the beginning, I would agree with you. You see her find strength within her. Like maybe Mm -hmm. that last, that last shred of, you know, rebellion, that last shred of strength. And she builds on it and clings to it. And it's what she uses to build her up and see her through this. And I think that is the greatest thing in this movie is to watch this person find the strength within them and do that because it doesn't happen because, well, I'm a tough woman of the, and I'm not going to take it. No, she's not, she's not an action heroine. She's a human being. And you never, ever lose sight of that fact with this person because she never treats this person as an object, even though the killer does. She never treats this person as a cliche, even though the killer does. This person is human from beginning to end. And with all the horrible fragility and wonderful hidden strengths that go with it. She's amazing in this film. Yeah. And I, I, the reason I say that is because I think even though we've talked about the fact that this film, you know, its main mission statement is to, to not glorify the actions of what serial killers are and what killers are in horror, a kind of a deconstruction of that. I also think there, there is a metaphor for abusive relationships. And I think the ending of this film kind of showcases that to the point where she sticks around in in sequences in which she could have easily left. She could have easily left the time when she breaks free and goes out. And instead of just running off the other direction, she runs into the barn and she could easily, why are you doing that? Why are you going there? Run, get get the fuck out of here. Nope. She stays there. And it almost, to me, registered, um, and, and this is how I've always felt, that the, that another layer to this movie is, is kind of talking about abusive relationships between men and women and how people uh, stay in them until they finally find the strength in order to escape them. Now, I could be reading way too much into that, but I've always kind of had that feeling. Mark, did you get any of that watching this? I I didn't, but now that you mention it, thinking back on it, I can definitely see that as possibly being one of the things they may be trying to address in here. Um, 
you know, I, it made me confused too why she ran to the barn. I'm like, wow, that's not the direction you want to run. You, you know, he just he doesn't have a gun or anything. But, um, yeah, you you know, I I could see that it it is about abusive because they they do end up getting to that point near the end where it is in a you know felt more like a relationship a twisted screwed up one uh and and a very abusive one but it it felt almost like that by the end because of everything he's put her through you know and and she hadn't quite given up though which which i did like you could feel that underneath because i i think yeah i agree with you guys uh i think people forget that whether or not you like these extreme horror films, these are real people in real life portraying these actors going through this. And, and her performance in here is just amazing. And at the end where you think she's completely broken, but, but she's not quite. You can see it underneath. Her brain is still thinking of how to get out of this, but she moves from trying to figure out how to get out of it not only physically but also tries to figure out how to get out of this mentally because you can tell that she's feeling that she's losing herself and and the performance you're right the turning point is her in that chair she she finally finds an out that not only it's not just an out to escape uh physically but an out to escape mentally and, and get some possible for lack of a better term, revenge on all the stuff that's happened to her. Um, and, and her performance, yeah, is is fantastic. And yeah, I can definitely see the, the abusive relationship angle with this now that you mention it. Scott, did you ever, did that ever happen upon you thinking, watching this movie that you thought maybe there was another layer to this other than the, the straight serial killer thing that, I mean, that's as plain as day. Well, I'll, other layers yes but i i uh was taught thinking about like you know things about abuse things about you know uh trust trying to get into the psychology characters i'll be honest with you i never did think about it about the human relationships bit well i think the, the main reason why i i think that is because at the end the tables are turned she uses her sexuality against him in in the same way like we had discussed before that his sister had towards him and how helpless he was and how he just let it happen. The same thing happens here where she decides, you know what, even though this dude's done nothing but sexually brutalized me for weeks and I, I, I am just like a shell of a human being. She finds that power watching that video. Of, like he's enjoying this in some weird way that I think I can use against him. And she does. And then she takes pictures of him for the scrapbook mm -hmm. of him tied up of him being bru uh, brutally tortured and beaten. And he lets her do it. And then yeah. she takes the scrapbook and escapes and walks away with it. And I always, and I could be reading way too much into this. I always took that as no matter what we do, our past will always be with us and we take it with us as if it is a book that's sitting on a shelf. Oh, wow. That's a really interesting take. That's a really interesting take. Cause that's, cause I love the, I do love the form of revenge that she takes. I mean, 
uh, a layman could look at this film and say like, well, okay, so she uses sexuality against it. So it's another ripoff of I Spit on Your Grave. And it's not at all. It's uh, she uses the book against him. And because the book is the, his document, you know, of everything. It's what drives done. him. It totally drives him. And she writes a very simple message in the book in, in the book and hands it to him. And it's a it's a simple sentence. And he just loses it. He's so frustrated. He's it might lead to the only funny line in the movie. And I'm not even positive it's supposed to be funny. It just plays funny after everything we've seen. And he where he's like, you're ruining the book, you know, because it's almost like this tender thing that she's written. Like, you know what? I get you now. I understand and and, and I I thank you for this experience. Mm-hmm. And it's and you know it's not true, of course. Of course, God, of course not. No one in the right who wants mind to get ever. pissed on. No one in the right <laughs> mind. Well, you know. Well, okay. Well, you know, well let's well, not jump the conclusion. There, there, there might be, you know, there's 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 supposedly a Russian tape out there. So yeah, you know, yeah. Of just... <laughs> Mr. Orange Face, White Eyes. But anyways, but, but uh, the. Uh, but uh, the you know, and she she does this, and she uses the book, and then she uses that, and it's basically used putting him in that abuse abuse situation again, and that's how she uses it. It was so clever of them to that to, to make it's the scrapbook itself. That's how I do it. I do like your take though that about how we carry these things with us. That's that's really an interesting take. I had not considered it. In that in that same respect before. Yeah, it's always there's just that whole underlying theme of abuse, the systematic abuse of uh, somebody always having to have power. And then eventually, once the power dynamic is changed, um, someone finally realizing that they don't have to be stuck in this situation and that instead of uh, her just leaving all this behind that book which has been such a huge portion of like his identity has now her identity because there's no way that she will go away from this whole situation unscathed so that last shot of this film where she's literally walking away slowly because she's just spent she has just been through hell and she can barely move beyond just a, a walk she's like cradling this book and it slowly fades out. I just, it always, that's like always what I took away from it. Cause it's just, otherwise it, it's not a traditional horror ending by any way, shape or form. There's something more going on there, but that's just my take. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's what I've always, always felt. Mark, what did you think about how they ended this film where the role reversal and then, her taking the scrapbook and walking away. Do you think she goes to the cops or she leaves him there to rot? I think she eventually goes to the cops. I think um, for me, I took it more as closure, a, a bit of closure for her to be able to head out into the real world again, after everything that she's experienced by, by, you know, getting, turning the tables on him. You know, it, I think that helps her, like I mentioned before, mentally escape. And I think she does eventually, I don't think she hangs, I think she does take it 
to the cops eventually. But but don't you think that's that's what he wants? Well, yeah, but I I still think she takes it to the cops uh, eventually to uh, for the evidence. For me, I I took it more as she just enjoying the moment that she she actually turned the tables on him and and was able to finally escape and, and takes it with her and cradling it because I guess I took it as she has everything, you know, on him. I don't know. I think she takes it to the cops. For me, the, I, my initial take was it that, you know, she had closure. She put him in the book saying, you, you know, you're your own final victim. Uh, you know, you're a victim of yourself. And she takes the book away. And I took it as she's taking it with her for a possible eventual evidence, you know, to, to finally get this guy. But I don't think she takes it right away. I think she lets him stew, possibly even die. Right. Um, right before she gives the book. I don't think she gives it right away. I, I think though, eventually she does, you know, when she may be, you know, pretty certain that he's, he's, <laughs> he's dead after bleeding out from his feet. For me, I, I guess I took it a little bit more literal outside of the fact that it was more closure for her by mm. putting him in the book. Sure. You, you, you know, for her, everything that's gone on that we right. witnessed that she's did this was was her coming back from from possibly losing herself completely going see you weren't stronger than me in the end and in fact you're in your own book there you go and i can leave now because i'm leaving stronger than you are you know and so there there's that reversible power which i i i was happy to see quite a bit in this film I always like to think that Stanzi has much more going on in his films than what's at the surface level. Mm-hmm. All of his films work on many levels. He's he's a dude that's into experimental art house cinema. So I always like to think, and I always want to sit and read a little more into them because I know it's very easy to watch Scrapbook and just take it at surface level because there are so many disgusting things that happen in this movie that... um I always like to think that these movies have to have something more going on in them. Have to. Scott, do you think she goes to the cops? Oh, yeah. I I actually agree with Mark almost 100% on this. I think that she does wait for a while. Eventually, she will go over the cops uh, and with the book. Now, you were saying, isn't that what he wants? No. He wanted to be – I mean, even even if he died – afterwards who knows what would have happened because i mean i don't think this guy could have ever seen like a long life for him Uh, i I, he wouldn't have wanted to ever end this as the object of weakness the object of ridicule he would have wanted to show how strong he could be how he was stronger than you stronger than these oh these women you know because let's face it i mean there's a reason why uh, serial killers tend to prey on women, usually young women. It's because of, it's because there's an undercurrent of misogyny in this, you know? And uh, it, it, it's very clear out of every vile word that comes out of his mouth is yeah. some sexist thing. He at one point relates this almost seems to be th- thinking like he's trying to be charming, but he's relating this really disgusting uh, story uh, involving a woman's period and everything else, uh, and it's just vile. 
Um, but I mean, he would never want to be seen as somebody who is actually taken out. And as Mark so eloquently put it, I couldn't repeat it even any better as the his own victim right. uh, because of and taken out by this little tiny woman. He could have never have, have pictured that. So no, it would it, 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 that would be the ultimate punishment for him. It's like yes, and after all of this, what happened to you? You were you're you are going to be remembered as someone pathetic. If any, I mean, people will be will write about you. People will, you know, ponder this and with all the stupid serial killer culture things. But who is the person that's going? If anybody is going to come out of this. With any kind of reputation, who's going to come out of this? It's going to be Clara. And she does. I don't think she wants to be famous or anything. I don't think. I think she'd probably fade out of the limelight, you know, very quickly, willingly. But uh, she's the strong one here. She's the strong one, not you. You know. So I, I, I don't think he'd like that at all. And I agree with Mark's take on it entirely. That's what I always got from it. I actually agree with you guys. <laughs> after all of that i'm playing no i'm playing devil's advocate right now because sure. there, at the on surface level i think that that is exactly what's going on but i also like to think that there's something else uh metaphorically going on underneath well there is i'm not I'm, uh, there is i just never looked at it in that way as you as you mm-hmm. as you had suggested and i said i again i'll look i'll give that a shot but <laughs> i do think i don't think that Stanzi gets these movies together and usually has to shoot them pretty darn quickly. Yeah, at least does. he certainly did. At least he certainly did in the early days. You know, he might have a little more leeway these days. I don't know, but uh, I don't think he ever got a gig and said, "Okay, I'll just rattle this one out and it doesn't mean anything to me." I mean, even a movie, even a movie that he openly says didn't mean that much to him. Uh, it's called The Captives on IMDb, but it's a uh, most people might know it as I spit on your corpse, I piss on your grave. Right. <laughs> it's the name of the movie. And it's a lot of filler in it and a lot of grotesque stuff that was demanded to be put in there by the producers. So the whole movie is a big compromise. Uh, it's uh, Emily Hack again in the role. Much different. Uh, seems thematically similar. It's not. Oh, wait, that's and, this guy? Yes, that's Eric Stanzi. Yeah. I thought I yeah. recognized the name. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because I've guy. seen I've seen that film. So yeah, he also Emily did Hack. Ratline as well. And that's Emily Hack, the the, the lead actress for this I, movie was also the lead actress uh, in that film. I can't yeah, believe the, it. Yeah, I, I thought handle. I recognized her. Yep, yeah, yep. broom handle, poop on the ground, all that. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, it's like it, that's a film where he openly says it's a big compromise. The producers wanted to do that. Even that has something beneath the surface. Even that has like, no, there's something else going on here. And I would actually take the relationship thing kind of applies to even maybe a little bit more to that film, uh, at least uh, outwardly. But uh, I think he always does have other things going on. I don't think he t- takes any part, any of these things and takes it for granted. I think he says, no, I'm going to put some of myself in this movie because how many opportunities do you get, especially as an indie filmmaker? Your next movie might be your last one. Exactly. 100%. 100%. This was shot supposedly in 13 days. Shoestring budget, minimal crew. That location is the entire film for the most part. Uncompromising. They had a vision going in. 
and they did not waver on it. I think a lot of films, it, it takes a lot of guts to make something like Scrapbook. Whether or not it's going to be everyone's taste, I can guarantee you it won't. <laughs> it's almost 1,000% won't for the vast majority of people. I think a lot of people, and this is the whole reason why I think there's such a huge debate about a Serbian film, it's because I, I think people don't want to read beneath the surface of what that movie is. And I think the same can be applied here to Scrapbook. This is going to be something that is for a very niche audience. And uh, I don't blame you if you go into this movie and get turned off. It is a hard movie to sit through. It, it actively wants you to stop watching it. It actively is trying to push your buttons. Because it wants to show you that nothing about this is sexy. This is what it really is like. So scrapbook, let's let's give our final thoughts. I know we've talked about how we're hesitant about recommending it, but let's see uh, if we walked out the other side digging this and if we would recommend this to anybody. Mark the movie man, what are your final thoughts and would you recommend this to anyone? Um, I appreciated this film and I, what they're going for. Um, in the end, I I'm not going to watch it again, but if someone came to me and asked me, you know, talking about the subject of extreme horror, Oh, you know, what's extreme Oh, Serbian film. I, I gotta see, I, you know, I would recommend this one over Serbian film. If they're looking for that type of film, if that's your tastes, definitely. It is a hard watch. Uh, for me personally, I appreciated everything and everything that's going on. Whether or not I actually liked the film, I'm still digesting because I just watched it last night. Um, but I appreciate the the performances, the the writing. For an extreme film, this one uh, Im impressed me, and and I was I was surprised by what actually what was all going on in here in this film besides just being shock for shock value i i agree with you there is more going on in this film than the extreme rape stuff uh there's more going on uh you know than some of the other things you know just to shock you had i wished they even for a film like this and and i'm in no means an advocate of hey they shouldn't do something would I personally have liked to see them maybe do so, a couple things a little bit differently? Yes, I, I, I personally, but that's just me as a viewer. So I have a lot of respect for everyone who made this film and who was involved and a large appreciation for what they were doing with this as far as ex in an extreme film goes. But I can't say for sure in all honesty, guys, and I'm sorry whether or not I like it, but there's a lot going on in here. And as far as extreme films go, this one I would recommend probably above the others. Would you just recommend this to ghouls? Uh, I would recommend it to not necessarily ghouls, uh, just ghouls, but those, <laughs> you know, there's, there's people out there searching for, for extreme stuff. And I guess I would recommend this to someone who says, Oh, all those extreme horror films are just doing the shock for shock value. This would be one that I would say, you know, that's not all true. There is scrapbook, mm -hmm. you know, 
look beneath the surface. Again, I honestly can't tell you whether or not I, I liked the film at the end of the film, but I had a large appreciation for what they were doing in this film. And I would tell someone, no, if you want to see an extreme horror film that, or, you know, that's doing stuff that's raw, visceral, grimy, disgusting, disturbing, it's going to be tough for you to watch. But at the same time, it is actually trying to say something that's scrapbook. You get that impression more so from this film with probably a, that has a less budget and less production value than your Serbian film, which while I understand they may be do, saying something there for lack of a better term is more flashy than this film mm-hmm. in many ways. Yep. So I would, that's what I would tell the person. I'm like, if you want to actually see an extreme film that is actually trying to say something and you got to look beneath the surface and you pay attention to the performances and everything, it, it, it would be scrapbook. This movie is not entertainment. No. no <laughs> that's, I think that that's what I would, I would say walking away. This movie is not entertainment and i know at some point one of these episodes um when andrew was on we had talked about the fact that the films are the the video stock that is used because of the era we grew up in we tend to our brains tend to associate video because we all had it and we all used it and shot home videos with it we tend to relate it to reality Mm -hmm. so there's something psychologically that that hits you when you watch this film because of the look of the film, which cuts even deeper, I think, than most films. So this is a very, very tough watch. Scott, your fine thoughts. Uh, yeah, it's uh, I agree. I think that um, I'm not interested in the people who uh, want to watch film like, oh, watch this film because it's got, you know, all this rape and or watch this film because it's got so much gore in it. And like, you know what? That's easy. That's a special effect. Give me something more. And a lot of films will give you something more in the case of um, of actually accomplishing something more. Now, I think the scrapbook adds a whole new dimension to that because my old example would be something like, say, like uh, Dawn of the Dead in the 70s. Dawn of the Dead. Oh, that's such a gory film. And it was. But yeah, but it was also doing something else. It was also accomplishing something else in addition in addition to that. Uh, this uses the most horrible, vile things supposedly inspired by actual crimes as a basis to create something deeper and to see something more visceral and something that is not there just so, you know, people can just go ooh ah no it's meant to, it's not meant to get into your eyes or anything like that or raise your just raise your goosebumps it's meant to really penetrate into your heart and i think that uh if you're the type of person who would be open to that or desperately needs to be open to that i would recommend this movie definitely Otherwise, as I've said, it's just, this is not just a film I like. I love this movie. I think it's amazing. Uh, I think it's a major artistic achievement. It's very, very hard to recommend. I would never recommend this to a casual film film goer. Never. Not without a lot of caveats. 
but uh, part of those caveats are what I just mentioned. You know, if you're ready to really experience something, not watch it, experience it. And if you're ready to walk down that path, then then I would say, yes, check out Scrapbook. This is definitely a movie that you feel more than anything. This, mm-hmm. There's just the mise-en-scene of this film, just everything about it, the performances, the construction, the editorial is just so transparent that you feel like you're sitting in that room. Like you feel like you're experiencing this. And I, I love that you said that, Scott, because this film is like that. Now, can I recommend this to anybody? No. This is a very tough film and only people that are willing to go outside of their comfort zone. Now, we may be building this up a bit because I think some people are going to go into this and see the cheap video stock and see some of the, the portions of the film where maybe it's a little hammy and maybe it looks like they're pulling punches and things like that. And might go, oh, what the fuck? What's wrong with these panty waists? Like, what is their problem? Um I just don't see that because it's such an immersive experience. If there's something about this entire thing that it's so hard to watch and it's not something I actively like to watch. I've seen it a number of times and every time I've watched it, it is like crushed my heart. This is not a film that you put on just passively. If you're not into that kind of stuff, You're not into soul-crushing films. You're not into films that really test the boundaries of taste. Do not watch Scrapbook. But if that kind of stuff, you can handle it, you owe yourself to watch this one. Because in the sea of regurgitated, micro-budget, chair-horror bullshit, this truly is the only one you need to watch. For my taste, this this is literally the only one I would ever recommend because I don't I don't put this into the same category as a hostel. That's why I hated that whole idea of torture porn. Fuck that. Fuck that term and fuck the generalization of these kinds of films. Now, I'm doing the same thing with chair horror. The reason I'm doing that is because there is just a ton of of low budget micro budget films that were just done because it was cheap and easy rapes and easy pop tortures and easy pop doesn't necessarily need a lot of really highly crafted special effects just need some naked chicks that are willing to look like they're being humiliated on camera and to me that's not art <laughs> there's there's nothing there I think it was unfortunate that stuff like Hostel, which obviously had a lot more going for it than just the torture stuff. At least that's just my opinion. I hated that term torture porn. I hated it. So base level chair horror stuff, not my taste. I don't really typically like this kind of movie. But as we've all said ad nauseum now, I'm probably sick of hearing it. There's something more going on here. And it's a movie you don't walk away from without having some sort of feeling, having watched it. So, ghouls, you watch Scrapbook. 
everybody else, this movie will destroy you. <laughs> you will hate this movie. Do not watch it. And uh, if you dig this one, please, by all means, go check out Eric Stanzi's other movies. I love his other stuff. Uh, Savage Harvest, Ice from the Sun is along, for me, along the same lines of Begotten is two of underground art horrors, seminal films that you need to check out that they should be on your list. You should go check those out. I also really like uh, a recent movie he made called rat line. I thought that's, that's a really great movie that Emily hacks in as well. And she puts in another fearless performance in that film as well. So Eric Stanzi, definitely a, a director that should be more well-known than he is. He's still kind of an underground dude. And that's too bad because actually he's been getting higher profile work as a second unit director on some bigger films, some bigger indie films. So I'm hoping at some point we finally get to see in memory of, and the stoplight movie that I keep hearing about. So hopefully we'll see some new Eric Stanzi in the future, but anyways, that was our ep episode on scrapbook. Uh, I'm hoping we didn't bore you to tears. <laughs> we went on really long, a lot longer than I thought we were going to go on about scrapbook. But Anyways, this is the portion of the show where my guests shamelessly shill the fuck out of you, Mr. Mark the Movie Man shill. You can find my stuff at specialmarkproductions.com. Uh, that's where I've got the, the Spoiler Room podcast episodes as well as uh, the latest reviews that I've done. Uh, whether or not you agree with me or not, film is subjective. That's why I love it. Please uh, check Except it for out the Moji movies. Set the, there's <laughs> nothing subjective about the Moji movie, man. <laughs> Yes, we. I think we've established that already. Uh, <laughs> but you can check my YouTube channel, uh, Special Mark uh, Prod. If you go there, uh, check it out. Give us a subscribe. I review not only mainstream stuff, but indie stuff as well, and occasionally even do an interview or two. Uh, so check it out there and on the Twits at Special Mark Pro. Mr. Scott Davis. Moviocrity.com. Also, you can check out my web series, Moviocrity, at Moviocrity SF. <sighs> also, you can check out my web series at, uh, it's called Moviocrity. It's at Vimeo.com slash channel slash Moviocrity. Sorry, long day, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I, want, I want to thank both of you guys. I really put you guys through the ringer with this show, Astro Radio Z. I always ask you to watch stuff that most other people wouldn't watch. So I love you guys. Thank you again for coming on, doing this ghoul shit. So um, next week, listeners, we're going to be getting into August, which from now on is going to be Director's Month here on Astro Radio Z. And the first exploitation director we're going to be covering next week, we're going to be watching a Coffin Joe movie, folks. We're going to be watching At Midnight, I'll Take Your Soul. And boy, I can't wait to talk about this one. One of my favorite movies of all time. If you haven't seen it, watch it. Get woke. Get prepared. Because it's a doozy. But until then, please, don't take up scrapbooking. It's not good for you. Good night. <laughs>
Please help us by subscribing, rating the show, and giving us a review. It helps us get the show out to more listeners. Also, if you would like to hear more of the show and be a more active participant, join the Astro Radio Z Facebook group and page, and join the Patreon. For only $1 a month, you get bonus episodes. Thank you for listening. See you next week, Astro Zombies. Goodbye!